and welcome to this week's episode of Books Are Chic. Um, this is really special for me because I feel like the reason why I named Books Are Chic, aside from me thinking books are chic, is I've always loved like old Hollywood things from like the 50s and 60s. And this book today that we are celebrating that came out yesterday, I think is just the epitome of chicness. Like if there was a book, if there was a person, this would be it to just encompass chic. So I am so excited. Like this is really an honor for me to be able to chat with her um, to welcome Kate Anderson Brower to Books Are Chic to celebrate her latest um, nonfiction book called Elizabeth Taylor, The Grit and Glamour of an Icon, which is the first authorized, which I was just saying to her is so amazing, biography of this icon. So I am so happy to welcome you, Kate. That was a long-winded thing. <laughs> you for your enthusiastic introduction, Courtney. This is very sweet. <laughs> I just feel like I have like this, I'm so close to Elizabeth Taylor, yet I'm not. Like, I just feel like through you, I'm like, are we friends? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people think they know her, but I hope what this book does is really introduce them to things about her that they really didn't know, right? Because she's so famous. She, I know, and I feel like we've seen, especially, you know, if you grew up in like the 80s and like 90s, we know like this certain version of her. Like, I don't know how many times after like reading this book and then just listening to the podcast, which we can talk about, that I YouTubed the White Diamonds commercial because that came on like during every episode of 90210. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that so vividly because I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s and I remember like you know these have always brought me luck and she drops them on the table and it's so elegant and chic right yes. but then we also had the dichotomy of her on the supermarket you know tabloids mm -hmm. on the front pages where people are making fun of her weight and is she sick and in the hospital so there she was complicated yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm totally envisioning like standing in line at Stop and Shop with my mom looking at those things. And it was to, and I mean, it just shows you that those are obviously so skewed. And so you have gone into like the nitty grit, like you, there's so many things I could ask you. And like I said to you before, I could talk to you all day, but you had this like access that nobody's had before. And so my first thing is, is how did you even come to Elizabeth Taylor? Like, how did you get to her and, and, and this access? It was, it's interesting because I, I normally, I, I'm based in Washington, DC, and I normally write about politics. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just getting so tired of how partisan everything was. And I felt like it would be not, you know, there were just no obvious next book to write after uh, my last book, which was about the former presidents. And so um, I was talking to my husband at lunch one day and he was like, you know what? you should talk to John Warner. He is of Virginia. And I knew who he was. He was a senator from Virginia. And he was, this was three and a half years ago. And he's since passed away, unfortunately. But I got to know him. And he, he was Elizabeth's 
sixth husband. And so I would go to his house in Northern Virginia and meet, you know, interview him a few times. We went out to dinner and he, he grew to trust me, I think. And then he put me in touch with her family and it kind of was a perfect um, partnership because they, it was about 10 years since Elizabeth had passed away. And I think they were finally ready to tell her full story because for a long time, people were very protective of her. You know, they loved her that they still do. I mean, her assistant who was in the podcast, Tim Mendelson, she's like a mother figure to him. And so we would have a lot of conversations during the pandemic. I was working on this book and they're based in Beverly Hills mm-hmm. and I'm based and, you know, we would talk once a week and then um, they have an archivist who had digitized a lot of material. I went out to Beverly Hills to meet them, but a lot of it was done during the pandemic. So a lot of it was, thankfully, they had digitized a lot of the letters. Um, but Tim and I would talk and like he would say, you know, it's just hard for me to talk about any of her flaws because I loved her so much. And But he finally got to a place, I think, emotionally where he felt like, she wouldn't want to just have a boring version of herself in the mm-hmm. world because that's what she was, you know. So that's that's how it came into being three years ago. It's been a long time. I so okay. So the podcast, which is called Elizabeth the First, which is I mean, these are like it's like the perfect duo. Um, because I feel like they sort of touch upon what is in your book, but you have like the real, like you have these like diary entries and things. Um, but listening to the podcast was incredible and Tim was incredible and like they're crying and it's so emotional and it it just shows the effect that she had on all of these people whether they worked for her or if she just knew them as friends and to yeah. me like I said you know I my eyes were open to this person who just had so much to give and you know I just think when they say that she was like the first influencer it's so true yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there are no other I'm so I'm grappling with who who to write a biography about next, right? Because there's nobody like her who um was involved in politics, involved in health policy, was also the most glamorous star from the 20th century, the last star from the old Hollywood movie system. You know, she the first celebrity entrepreneur. I mean, mm-hmm. she just did so much. And at first I wanted to only focus on her AIDS work. So I wanted the book to be about the eighties, you know, because I think it's important that people remember who, or maybe just did never knew how ostracized people were, who were, you know, dying of AIDS. There was no one speaking up for them. And Elizabeth was the first big celebrity activist to do it. And she co-founded Amfar. And then all there's just incredible touching things she did behind the scenes. But then the trustees said, well, what about a biography of about her whole life? And it's, <laughs> I was like, um, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay. Yeah, like I, I was picturing like a snapshot in history. Yeah. A lot of books are that way, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, no, no, let's do, you should just do everything. We'll just open it all up to you. And then that's hard to say no to because then you have this, great access to her letters to her mom, you know, when she was mm-hmm. little during World War II, you know, it's like you then have um, a window into her entire life. So you, you know, I kind of, I fell in love with her as a complicated, flawed person. And I think that's what's so great about her. Cause unlike, you know, Grace Kelly and Audrey Hepburn, who I love, Elizabeth, you know, 
I mean, Elizabeth is just more, um, to me, impactful in the fact because of the way she used her celebrity in such a unique way and started this trend that we see today. I mean, I agree. And I think the whole entire, you know, I didn't know that, and you have this in the book, you know, about her AIDS work, but also just the, before she even got invested into the work part of it, her friendships with, you know, Rock Hudson and like the whole section of the book where you talk about how she would like be snuck in to see him and like she wasn't afraid and I feel like I wouldn't have known that I know her work and I know that she was like a huge activist but she was out there like and they talk about this too in the podcast but like going to these hospitals visiting with people she wasn't afraid during a time when we were you know everybody it was like oh my god you know and Mm -hmm. That just shows a completely other side to her. But yet she was going in like fully decked out, which I'm like, of course. <laughs> of course. I mean, she wanted to wear the giant 33 carat, you know, Krupp diamond that she was famous for because she wanted these men who were, I mean, who were dying because there was no treatment before AZT came around. Mm-hmm. Um, like in the 87, 88, you know, and, you know, it's so sad because, she didn't want any press there. And like she would cancel if she knew that the press was showing up, which is incredible. So there's not a lot of photos of her yeah. in AIDS hospices. But, you know, I talked to some of the hospice workers like in San Francisco General um, in Ward B, which was like a really famous one of the first um, AIDS hospices where they had you know, the nurses actually didn't wear full on protective suits because back then they were wearing like hazmat suits and afraid to touch people. And Elizabeth, like Princess dies, she was going in and like hugging people, writing, you know, she would offer to like arrange to have their dogs walked. She would offer to like call their mothers. She would at a time when it was just I mean, the way these hospice workers talk about it today, like they're emotional today saying, you know, it was a beautiful place and a terrible place at once because people would not know that their sons were gay. And then all of a sudden they know their son is has AIDS, is dying and is gay. And for some families, it was harder to come to terms with them being gay, which is kind of you know, hard to believe, but um, so they would bring in like ministers to help convert them and pray for them. And then other families like would come in and do wedding services, you know, for the, the, you know, person who was dying in their partner. And so it was just, but she was, I would not say she was fearless. I think she was courageous. She had concerns and she was sometimes worried about touching and, and spreading, you know, they didn't know, like you said, how it was spread, but she, she overcame that, which I think is different. Yeah. I, yeah. And I think again, going back to like, we see so many celebrities put, you know, their mouth to, and you know, money towards things these days, but like she was doing it for something, like you said, that everyone was navigating and nobody really had like clear answers. And these poor people that were like, you know, feeling like abandoned, like I'm just thinking reading, you know, in the book and then listen, like they, there was interviews of people that worked at different places and stuff. It was like heartbreaking, but you know, again, she was just this force. I feel like who was like, let's figure it out. And I'm going to do what I say. And I feel like, you know, now we see that a lot of times, but really she like was at the forefront of that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's easier now for celebrities yeah. to like post on Instagram or Twitter and just right. actually work. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think they all kind of step up the way that she did. And mm-hmm. and just like she also was very um, aware of from a young age, from when she was 12 years old in National Velvet, that like she, she was not, people didn't love her for who she was. They loved her for the money she could make the studio. They, I think she always felt used by her parents. Then she mm-hmm. felt used her children and hangers on and I think that for her she kind of got cynical and then I think probably visiting the hospices and talking to these AIDS patients like she was actually being like her warmth and her personality and who she really was was being valued versus you know yes it was Elizabeth Taylor with the crop diamond and everything but it was also just a really kind person um and so I'm sure for her, it was a struggle. It's obvious throughout her whole life to, to deal with her fame. Like, I think yeah. it was really impossible. And it was so hard for her family. Her children suffered. They were, you know, often in boarding schools. And, you know, her friends helped to raise them. But she was a working mother. So I mm-hmm. think, you know, she was also at the forefront of that, too. She had to make money. Yeah. And I don't, I was going to bring that up, which we, which is a good segue, but then I also want to, one of her husbands, which I knew nothing about, but I, the part, the whole part in the book too, about like, she was like the first person to demand this million dollar salary and was, you know, they were saying no, and she wasn't backing down. And again, during a time that I feel like, of course she was like a huge star, but there were so many male stars too, that were so huge. and. I, it just shows so much like courage. I mean, to say that, I mean, it's hard to speak up nowadays for things I feel like as a woman and not be like, who, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? And she, and she was young. Like, it's not even like she was a seasoned, you know, Hollywood star. She was young, but like knew her worth. And like you said, she had kids and she was like, this is, you know, what I want. I think that sense of knowing who she was, was what helped her survive because so mm-hmm. many child just, you know, get into, you now she did get into drugs and alcohol, but it didn't bring her down. Like she was right. able to still be impactful. Um, and yeah, it's amazing. I think she was totally willing to walk away from Cleopatra. If that hadn't worked out, I think she would have just said, okay, there's other films for me. I, I just, I, I struggled to understand in looking through her letters and diaries. It seemed to me like she didn't care as much about the work as other stars. Like she wasn't super competitive with other actors. She was comfortable in her own skin. Mm-hmm. I think it helps if you're as beautiful as Elizabeth Taylor to feel like she was like, oh, I, you know, I know that I'm gorgeous and people love me. And, and then separating that from her family and she just wanted to be loved too. And that was something George Hamilton who dated her told me it was like, she was perpetually this little girl looking for love and acceptance for who she was and not what money she could make, you know? And, and I think that feeling of being used, I'm sure a lot of celebrities feel that way. And Mm -hmm. she kind of overcame it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, again, like it's so hard to think of what that is like today for people. And so like that was back then. And 
she was, you know, basically like an innovator in a sense to, to, to sort of pave the way. So now we see all these, you know, female actresses getting like these crazy amounts of money, but a million dollars back then would be like gazillion dollars today. Um, But one thing that I really enjoyed reading about, and I didn't really know, I mean, I think a lot of us just associate her with Richard Burton. If you were in the 80s and 90s, it was Larry. Like that was splashed all over the tabloids, I feel, because I always remember seeing him and I was like, he's so young. Um, (laughs) But Mike Todd, like I did not know any of that. Like I did not know any of that story. It is so devastating. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what did she have or what did you read about? Because, you know, I almost feel like, yes, she had this like tumultuous relationship with Richard Burton, but it's almost like her heart really was like with a piece of her heart died with him when he died. Um, and the love story and like, she has these children with him and he just seemed like this, you know, totally charismatic guy that obviously tragically died. And it's you're right that people don't really remember him. He was no. this, this super producer. He did Around the World in 80 Days. Mm-hmm. And people like he had a huge presence back in the day. I don't even know who you would just compare him to. He was just a mega producer and um, very, you know, tough and attractive. Like, yeah, you know, he care of her. And if you think about it, by the time she was 26, she had been twice divorced and once widowed. She had three kids to take care of. I mean, that's a 26 year old. Like I was not um, fully aware of just the trauma of that and, and what it was like when she would visit, when she, you know, found out that he had died in this plane crash and just like the shock of it. And later on in life, I was told she hated surprises like she didn't ever want people to surprise her because she had had so many surprises she had so many things that she couldn't control mm-hmm. and she didn't believe in therapy or any of that but at one point in the 90s her assistant brought in a healer because Madonna had introduced Elizabeth to he a healer and she came in and like did this I don't know, thing where she put her hands over her body. And then afterwards she asked if she could wash her hands and, and Elizabeth's assistant went with her to the bathroom. And this woman said, Oh my God, I can't believe how much pain Elizabeth is holding from her life. Like how much she's held in all these years. And whether you uh, believe in that stuff or not, I think she did go through so much. I mean, I can't imagine. And, and the, and Liza Todd, her daughter, like really never knew her dad because he died a year, you know, it, a couple of months after she was born. Yeah. She was a baby. And I think too, what's so important. And you just said, you know, she was 26 years old and widowed. Like we think of her, like we only can remember what we know and something I feel like that's so important. And you just said it is that like her age, because yes, she's been married so many times, but like this all started so young for her. So yeah, these, even though she had been married a few times before Mike Todd, like she still was so young and it, and, and it's like, how do you, I mean, 26 years old, three children, a tragedy, you're working in Hollywood. Like, how do you even balance all of that at such a young age? And like, then she had this whole lifetime ahead of her of all this other stuff. Yeah. I mean, and she had already been married to Nikki Hilton. Who yeah. Gave her 
had the, you know, miscarriage when he kicked her in the stomach and all the, and it was so crazy to me because I, I was reading through this unpublished memoir that her mother, so Elizabeth's mother, Sarah was a stage mother, you know, and she was very much controlling and in a way that protected Elizabeth from the casting couch and from some of what happened to Judy Garland, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that uh, Sarah wrote in this, in this memoir about that was never published about being Elizabeth's mother. And she says, you know, I, now I think about it. People did say that, that Nikki Hilton, you know, he might, he'll kill her. He's crazy. When he drinks, he had to be put in a straight jacket at one point. And, and just to think as a mother that you would like green light that marriage and want your daughter to stay. Cause she was okay with their marriage at yeah. first, but she had heard these rumors about him. And never told her. And then she describes like Elizabeth not knowing anything about sex. And like the night before the wedding, having this awkward conversation with her and how innocent she was. And it's like she kind of fed her to the wolves because Nikki Hilton was totally out of control. He died of alcoholism. Like it was a mess. Mm-hmm. And so it almost felt like Elizabeth she was never a victim and she never saw herself that way, which I love, but she kind of was victimized. Yeah. In her- yeah. And you just think like, what did she starting at such a young age, the, the like tools that she got from everything she went through to just, you know, add to her toolbox as she got older and, and, and made her who she was. And, you know, she was this like force even right up until, you know, she passed away, but like she was doing things her own way on her own path, you know, for, I mean, and, you know, you, and like, as a woman today, you know, we're still dealing with, like you said, the wage gap, we're still, the country's still dealing with the opioid epidemic, Mm -hmm. a homophobia, you know, all this stuff that she was dealing, she was ahead of at the time. And it, it is like this, like you're saying, this strength of character that she had that's kind of hard to believe because some of these letters show her sticking up for other people. There's some great letters with Richard Burton where she's like, you know, I'm not, I don't want you to like treat me like this anymore. There's a great letter where after a fight, she says, you know, you can't come between me and my children. Um so it's like she's very protective of her children. She's very protective of her privacy. Um, but then she's also very fragile. I mean, she was famously late for everything, right? And she went through periods of depression where she wouldn't leave her bedroom, you know, in the in 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, she wasn't a simple person. And yet she she didn't let like the criticism during Cleopatra of her affair with Richard Burton and the Vatican condemning her and a member of Congress actually wanting to stop her from coming into the country. Like that's insane just for having an affair. Yeah. Um, You know, so like being judged for your sexuality all the time and thought of as like a homewrecker, I think was really took a toll on her. It would have to. I mean, yeah, and you have like a picture in your book about what after Mike Todd had passed away and Eddie Fisher was, you know, they were kind of like Eddie and Debbie and all of them were like a little group and she ends up, you know, getting with Eddie and like people were like protesting. Yes, people were (laughs) 
like Liz, go home, you know, calling her a slut. I mean, all things. And you're like, oh my gosh. First of all, Eddie and Debbie's marriage was already over. Like, you know, and the fact that she was vilified. And then later on, though, Todd Fisher, Debbie's son, told me that Elizabeth took him aside and said, look, you know, uh, I'm sorry, like that what what our relationship did to you and your sister, Carrie, like she felt bad. She said she said Mike Todd was the love of my life. And when I lost him, I was just looking for something to fill that void. Yeah. And so he thought that was really interesting that so many decades later, she would still have feel the need to tell him he was like in his 30s. And he was like, OK, Elizabeth Taylor is like confessing her inner thoughts to me. Um, but she didn't feel she had a conscience. She she felt bad that she about about that marriage ending. But I think she also knew it was over whether she was there or not. You know, he would have right. cheated with someone. Yeah. Right. And like you said, she was looking, I mean, it was probably felt safe for her and she, and he knew him and that sort of just was like a comfort. Um, okay. One question I did have too was, did, were you able, when you went out to Beverly Hills, did you get to see any of the jewelry? So I did get to see like the, the clothes, some clothes and things like that, because they have this really cool closet full of, you know, the well, a big walk-in office with like her boots from National Velvet and things like that. But a lot of the jewelry is gone because right, the Christmas- from the auction. Yeah. So most of it's, I didn't see any like actual big pieces. I saw like fake crups and stuff. Cause I don't honestly know how much is left. Her kids did, you know, her daughter, Eliza, I asked her what she had. And she kind of said, you know, jewelry wasn't important to me because jewelry was what separated my mom from me. Jewelry was Elizabeth Taylor, not my mom. So she and her mom bonded over their shared love of horses and the countryside. And now she's a sculpt. She's a sculptor. So like her kids are not into that. And they sold every important piece. I mean, it's the sale was the largest private jewelry sale in history. It was over $150 million. It was insane. I mean, you know, they were getting eight, $9 million for a single pieces. I mean, it's Um, insane. Some of the pieces, I know you have pictures in the book um, and in the podcast, they have like a whole section about the auction, but like this was not like I'm Christie's does all kinds of auctions, but like this was not this jewelry is not like your typical. I mean, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, she would call her ring like the ice skating ring, you know, and she sold her her engagement ring. She sold one ring to f- help finance John Warner's campaign. And I think she regretted that. Um but she always the one piece and and Barbara Berkowitz, who's in the podcast, um, who is her lawyer, she said, you know, the hardest thing was when after Elizabeth died and just like seeing the crop, like because they that was Elizabeth, you know, and they did sell that in the auction. And um, I think like a South Korean conglomerate bought it. I mean, some of these are just businesses, you know. Yeah. But like that ring was um, from you know, Richard Burton, it was, had belonged to Vera Krupp, who was like, you know, had been married to a Nazi and Elizabeth was Jewish. She converted to Judaism and she jokes like, wouldn't it be great for a little Jewish girl to have this, this ring. And, um, but she loved the jewelry and she saw herself as a custodian of it. And I love that she wasn't a snob about it. Yeah. Like 
you know, if you admired the Krupp Diamond 33 carats, she would take it off and like let you try it on. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Because I, I feel like they really and you too, like it's she really enjoyed it, but wasn't like pretentious about it. Like she just enjoyed and and mind you, like I enjoy jewelry, but I'm not enjoying these like massive diamonds. But she was so like nonchalant, you know, not like you said, nonchalant about it, which is incredible. And, you know, um, some of those pieces are just like you just stare at that. You just can't even believe that these exist. And people would say they were, you know, Princess Margaret said, oh, that's so vulgar, Elizabeth. And then like at a cocktail party and then a little while later, she asked to try it on. And Elizabeth said, you know, it's not so vulgar now, is it? Yeah. Like people thought, you know, people like Betty Davis, I think kind of thought, oh, God, here goes Elizabeth with her, her jewelry and the cleavage and, the, you know, but she that was just her true self. And I, I don't think that um, she was flaunting it as though like, oh, I'm better than anyone. It was just, she loved the jewels and she loved the stories and each one she kept in an original box. So like the tiara from Mike Todd, you know, at the Christie's sale, you could go and see like the box and it would say Mike diamond tiara. And like oh. when he gave it to her, cause it was telling the story of her life. Yeah. You know? That's incredible. Okay, so now my next thing, this is taking a turn though. When you were doing your research or reading or whatever, what it like what was the most interesting thing you found out about the relationship between her and Michael Jackson? Cuz now that we know like all the like we just know what we know about Michael Jackson, but like they were I mean, that is something I correlate from like growing up because they were always photographed together and so I'm just curious if you there was something like that you just remember that was like fascinating or interesting. Yeah, I mean, she did try to save him and she had this like complicated plan where and I have details in the book about like she got a private plane to take him and got like a double for him to, you know, so that the paparazzi would follow this other person because she wanted to she saw that he was really suffering and that things were, were going downhill for him. And um, she flew him to, I believe it's Elton John. It's in the book. I believe it's Elton John's doctor. And he went to rehab in England and it obviously didn't work. And then, you know, it was that kind of extra. And she went with them, like the extraordinary effort of trying to make that happen. And then she wrote this letter to him after he died. And it's just, it's really sweet. And she often did that. She would write letters to Richard after he died. And, you know, they're kind of confessional letters. And she just says, like, I, my my heart is screaming for you. I love you. I think it was very, um, I think it was very real. I think she felt like they connected as child stars, no real childhood. She pr felt protective over him. Anytime people brought up the allegations, she was like, no way, that's not possible. Um, she felt like he was just a little boy who had been deprived of a childhood. Yeah. But, you know, growing up in the 80s, I felt like looking back and there's some documentaries and I would bring that up that, you know, it does seem like there's a lot of damning evidence about this and why did she turn a, a a blind eye to it so we would talk about that the trustees and I and they just said 
once once she was your friend, it was like she could not believe she just didn't believe it was possible. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I know it is so interesting to me. Um, I haven't made it to that part of the book yet, so I can't wait to read it. But um, I I didn't put that correlation together. Like they were they they had to grow up in front of everybody, like literally in within hours, not even overnight. It was like, boom, this is what you're doing. And, you know, that has consequences. You know, kids are supposed to be kids for a reason. And I can't even imagine what that pressure is like. No, I mean, I talked to Brooke Shields and and Lionel Richie, both who are friends with Elizabeth and Michael. And Lionel Richie was like, without Elizabeth, I think he would have left us sooner. Like she was that important to protecting him, you know, and he did, you know, one of her housekeepers told me that she found like him doing drugs in the bathroom of her home, like found a used syringe right after he came out of it. So, I mean, he was suffering and I think she saw him as like this wounded person who needed, you know? Yeah. Um, now out of like, you've clearly just dabbled and in the book, you, you talk about different people you, you spoke with, but like, who was like one of like the funnest people that you got to chat with? I'm sure there's a bazillion. Like I, I didn't even realize she was like such good friends with Colin Farrell at the end of her life. I think he was really fun. (laughs) I mean, we zoomed because it was during the pandemic and he was like, you know, it's Colin Farrell. Like he had his shirt halfway unbuttoned. I was like, Oh God, this is intense. So he's so cute. (laughs) Um, and he's so nice and he's so well-spoken. Yeah. He talked about her, like he worshiped her. He loved her. And he was so involved in like, even when she was dying, he like blames himself for not getting her out of the hospital soon enough. Like she should have died at home. And like, it was like, she was this lioness kind of mother figure Mm -hmm. to some people, but they also had this romantic friendship and, he would show off his tattoos to her and read her poetry and flirt with her. And I mean, he joked that if she was a little younger, they would have probably had a relationship. And I, and her son said the same thing and her kid, her, it's funny, her grandson, Quinn, who's a trustee of the estate, he's, he calls him Papa Colin and Quinn is like 35. Like he's a few years. It's just, it's funny. It's sweet. But like they were genuinely friends who would call each other when they were going through difficult times. And, you know, he described um, a a story I love from the book is like when she was really sick and everybody was treating her like, you know, she couldn't leave the house and they ever with kid gloves, Colin came, picked her up, brought her to the polo lounge, threw her wheelchair in the backseat of his car they go to the Polo Lounge, this famous restaurant she had been to since she was a little kid. And they have caviar and champagne. And like, he's like, it was so elegant. And it was just the way Elizabeth Taylor should be treated, you know. Um, and she was sick, but he he was like giving her, like they would, t- I forgot about this. It's really sweet. He would talk about wanting to take her on a helicopter over the Pacific and go on all these trips with her and they just, he knew that they never would do it, but they kind of had this fantasy together. It's really sweet. It's okay. So we love Colin Farrell for life. Love I mean, I loved him before and now I'm like, okay, he just yeah. shot up to like maybe number one. Yes. He's I so- love that so much. That's amazing. What is something like 
that you learned about her that just like really stuck with you like a fact or like something you read like what's something that like you didn't know or oh, there's so many oh things I didn't know about her. I didn't come to this as like a uh you know a Hollywood journalist I I cover politics I worked for Bloomberg and you know um I've only written about the White House and First Ladies. So I really didn't know a lot about her. So I think just, um, you know, I didn't know that Howard Hughes had basically offered to buy her. And she said no. And at one point, like, he sent Dominion with a briefcase full of money. And she, like, shut the door in his face, you know. And then Mm -hmm. Howard came to visit her in Palm Springs. And there were these loose diamonds that he sprinkled on top of her when she was in a bathing suit. And she, like, threw the diamonds on the floor. And he got on his hands and knees to pick them up. Like, I just think that's so great that she was, like, not interested in being another you know, um, notch on his belt. I didn't know the Howard Hughes story either. And like, also like, I forget who, like she would go places to hotels and they would think the flowers were from, was it Richard Burton? And it was from him. And I'm like, was he like low key, like stalking? (laughs) He was, I think he was. He was obsessed with her. Obsessed with her. Yeah. It was like, and I'm like, oh my God, another like massive star. Yet she was like, I'm good. Which I feel like, that's she was ahead of her game in that you know in that sort of aspect everything was so traditional back then like you wouldn't do that you know what I mean yes I mean even like very strong women like Catherine Hepburn you know fell for Howard Hughes like but Elizabeth was like no I'm not I don't love you and I'm not gonna go you know just be like arm candy for you so I think that that was so strong and I just didn't know either the way that she um you know she her daughter-in-law was HIV positive so the the mother of two of her grandchildren had is HIV positive her mm-hmm. her and the daughter-in-law happens to be Eileen Getty related to the famous Getty family and Elizabeth would get on the phone to to John Paul Getty I think, yeah, and then get and sort of get him to, you know, help bridge the relationship with his daughter, which is amazing because Elizabeth wasn't intimidated by a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, and they yeah. that in the like she wasn't intimidated just because someone was richer than her or powerful. She wasn't going to like treat them differently. So I think that and then her assistant was HIV positive and he, he killed himself. And so like, all, I didn't realize all the ways that AIDS had touched her life. And, and she knew that Rock had AIDS before he told the world. And that hadn't really been reported either that, you know, she had been told by one of his doctors, like she thought he had cancer, you know? Yeah. And, and she did get Ronald Reagan to talk about AIDS for the first time in like a substantive way. And she went to the Oval Office and and flirted her way into getting him to do it. And I think that that's you use what tools you have, you know, to make she was making a huge difference. So, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Um, OK. And my last question, I mean, I could talk I, we could have like 75 parts <laughs> what do you what was the most like from all your reading and and research what do you think and I mean there's probably a million things but what was the most chic thing about Elizabeth Taylor what's your definition of chic I mean I could go from like I mean 
I could go from like the jewels to like her activism being completely chic. Like I think she encompasses a lot of chic things, but I'm just curious like what you think. It can be anything. Okay. If it can be anything, the immediate thing I think of is her kindness, Mm -hmm. you know, her empathy, her standing up for people. She was drawn to wounded people like Michael Jackson like people who were sick because she had been sick and she always felt like an outsider. She never went to high school with normal, you know, she never went to a prom. She, so she never, like, she didn't go on dates. Boys were intimidated by her. And so um, she always felt like an outsider. And I think Mm -hmm. that made her empathetic to other people. So I think that that's the chicest thing about her is her kindness. Actually. Right. I I 100% agree. And I'm so glad that you did not. I'm so glad that they said to you, how about a biography? Because I have the residents, I have first women, and I feel like to do something like this and to really do it justice, I it needs to be the right person. And you already know, like, research and and there's so much like you said there you had thousands of you know hours of interviews and hundreds and hundreds of letters and and so like that takes a very special person to be able to do it and do it the way that you did it and I said this to you at the beginning it's a gift and I think if you love Hollywood if you just are into you know strong females it you know there's so much in this book and it is just so eye-opening. She's just so much more than you even think that you know. And that, I think, is the gift. And and I'm sure her, you know, trustees and, and her children probably are so happy with it. It's just a testament to a person who was doing so much good but went through so much darkness to get there. So. Yeah, I think so. I th- yeah, and just because – she's a glamorous woman. I think sometimes people think it's more tabloid fodder and Mm -hmm. like to give her the kind of treatment that you would give a first lady, you know, and what is that important? Yeah. Yes. Um, so it came out yesterday. Everybody can get it now. It is the cover is the whole thing. I'm like, I'm just going to leave it out after I'm done reading. I just I'm going to leave it out. It's like a beautiful it's like a chic little decoration. <laughs> the cover is beautiful um, and it's just it's incredible. So I this is like a dream to be able to even ask these questions and chat with you. I've been a huge fan for your previous books as well. Um but it's just, it's just so good. So where can people follow you on social media? So I'm not the best with social media, but I'm working. <laughs> it. I'm not like you. I'm not, um, I have, I have a Twitter account, but I can at, at Kate Brower, but I use my author Facebook a lot more and it's just okay. my full name, Kate Anderson Brower. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, you know, happy actually to like, I'll, I have those little book plates. I can sign copies for, you know, people and send, um, send signed book plates in the, in the, I think they're called book plates, little stickers. Yes, <laughs> um, so, you know, for Christmas, I'd be happy to do that. And I, I just think they did a really good job. Like you said, with the, um, cause even the inside binding is like a beautiful shade of lavender, oh, like so good. They, the way they packaged the book and the photos. My favorite is her with her hands on her hips from Cleopatra because I just think it's like so strong. Yes. That picture, 
Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just so much fun to work on and she was an incredible person. And I, I hope that it gives people a sense of, you know, what motivated her and what made her tick. Cause to me, that's always the most interesting thing about anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you just, there's just so many layers and there's so many like tidbits. And like I said, you don't even need to be like a fan or into old Hollywood. It's just, there were so many trailblazing things that she did. And so even just to see the development of the times is, is incredible. So, um, I can't even say I will, I'm shouting from the rooftops, but it's Elizabeth Taylor, the grit and glamour of an icon. It's so good. I don't even, I'll still be talking about this like next year. (laughs) You have to come back when it comes out in paperback, Kate, so then I can ask all my follow-up questions. Okay. I would love to. I would love to. I can talk about Elizabeth even longer than you can probably. It's my favorite topic. I could just listen too. You could just come on and I'm like, here she is, everybody. Listen to what she has to say. But thank you so much for taking the time to to talk to me. and, And yeah, it was just so fun. Thank you so much, Courtney. It's you a great podcast. And I'm so excited to get people reading and interested in in like impactful women. So thank you. Me too. Me too. And thank you so much for everybody for tuning in.